pain and suffering. Dying is a messy business, and although some people are fortunate to have little pain during their illness and their time of dying, fewer than 20% of people who die are able to shake free their body without significant pain and discomfort. The mental anguish that accompanies dying is another issue altogether. In principle, mental anguish and suffering come from clinging to or resisting something in our awareness. This is no small thing. The Buddhists say letting go of our desires and our aversions is the hardest work we'll ever do. So while the pain of illness and dying is something we experience in the body, our suffering is something we create with our thoughts and is often experienced emotionally. Nobody should plan for a pain-free death. Despite assurances from doctors and palliative care experts that we can mitigate the pain of an advancing disease and the decline of a failing body, the prospect of a prolonged and agonised dying can haunt us long before we learn that we have a life-limiting or terminal disease. Sherwin Newland knew this well and confessed to medicating some of his patients to the point of death when he couldn't give them the easy death he'd promised. In his book, How We Die, he wrote, In my medical practice, I've always assured my dying patients that I would do everything possible to give them an easy death, but I've too often seen even that hope dashed in spite of everything I try. At a hospice too, where the only goal is tranquil comfort, there are failures. Like so many of my colleagues, I've more than once broken the law to ease a patient's going because my promise, spoken or implied, could not be kept unless I did so. Becoming more curious about our habitual reactions to low-grade, maybe garden-variety pain might teach us about our untapped capacity for acceptance and, by so doing, clear the path for the pain arising from chronic diseases and dying. For example, our usual response to, say, stubbing a toe might include feeling angry or annoyed as we hop about, cursing. But this only compounds our pain by adding the insult of mental suffering. What's really needed for the stabbing pain in our toe is self-mercy. But what we often do instead is to recoil with anger or self-loathing. Pain always invites us to focus and soften around it by opening the heart, not closing the mind. Viewed this way, pain is an experience inviting our presence, not our fight-or-flight reactions. Practicing what Stephen Levine calls merciful awareness might be a way to restore our capacity for self-compassion while reversing old habits of avoidance or condemning our pain at the first opportunity. In this sense, pain has a kind of moral intelligence to it because it demands a willingness to be aware, even when it costs us to do so. Pain also evokes our fears and our sorrows, but bringing mercy to them can melt our resistance and renew our readiness to trust our intuition for self-healing. Levine says the habitual reaction of fear that arises with pain is similar to desire, except that fear lures us backward in time to the last safe haven, while desire seduces us forward to the next moment of anticipated pleasure. Both lack presence, born from identifying with the pain, 
which turns it into my pain, not the pain. If we can forego these judgments and avoidance behaviours, we can enter pain directly, noticing its features and its textures, moment by moment, until it subsides. This sounds counterintuitive, the very last thing we want, and yet avoidance and emotional drama only compound pain by bringing mental anguish to the experience. Pain can also bring us insights about our unfinished business, matters of the heart we've avoided or postponed for another time. Life is sometimes painful, but pain needn't be a feared enemy or a hateful executioner. What's more, by crafting a relationship with pain before our final days, we can start dissolving the age-old idea that life is somehow divided between the good and the bad, the desirable and the undesirable. Christ foresaw his death and the horror of his coming crucifixion, but he also knew his wholeness, both his divinity and his humanness, and he had the mythological perspective that his death by crucifixion represented an at-one-ment with humanity. Despite the horror he faced, he didn't condemn or run from his fate. He opened his heart to it. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he said, when death was nearly on him. His mercy for his executioners might also be a model for how merciful we could become with ourselves and each other.